Oh, I recognize that face. You're in trouble, aren't you? Well, I'll take you out to the Outer Rim, but I don't think it's going to do you much good. Why? Well, there's a new bounty hunting group. You haven't heard? There's a two-faced Twi'lek and a pugilist droid. If I were you, I'd do my best to avoid the Salonian captain and the gandroid tech. Better watch your back or you're gonna get wrecked. The writing on the sky on fire. Heading to the edge of the empire. Your number's up and now you gotta pay. Running from the heroes of the Hadian way. Welcome to Heroes of the Hydean Way. This is normally a live play podcast that explores published adventures set in the Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars RPG line, and our current adventure is Mask of the Pirate Queen. And I'm normally Ben, the GM for the adventure. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Christine, and I'm normally playing Cav and, uh, on the show, as well as I do the editing for Season 2. Uh, hi, I'm Brandon. I am uh, usually masquerading as Barrowin. And that's all I do. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. You do nothing else outside of that. Between recordings, I am basically just kind of like sitting very still (laughs) in the same place (laughs) until the next recording happens. This is is lending credence to uh, Leslie's robot theory. Hello. My name is Leslie, and I play Leslie, playing Billy. I also do the friendly previouslys at the beginning of the episode. I'm feeling like an underachiever over here as uh, just regular old Brit who just plays the uh, totally normal old Dr. Pastrano. Yes, totally normal Dr. Who definitely doesn't that. punch like a freight train. That was one of the things I loved about Pastrano coming in. Punch, 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 punch. That was ominous talking about Pastrano in the past tense. Oh dear. To learn more about our players, we get one hero to ask another question today. And Christine is going to be leading us. So I'm ducking out. Well, I'll still be here, I guess. Well, yeah, because you have to answer some of these questions, Ben. You're just joining the chorus. Uh, Well, before I ask any of my questions, I'm going to go and start off by asking some other people's questions. We received a whole bunch of uh, questions from Blamed Cat on Twitter. And uh, the very first one goes to Brandon. Brandon, since Barrowin has a cunning of one, how do you go about mentally monitoring yourself as you roleplay? Do you have to actively catch yourself from being too cunning? Uh, It's mostly just a lot of crippling anxiety. (laughs) So I do have to catch myself a lot because I tend to be a player who tries to find creative solutions to problems, even when I know that there's a better, probably more direct solution. And so Barrowin often wouldn't necessarily have, if not the information, then certainly not the sort of thought process to get to some of the weirder solutions that pop into my head during play, some of which I I mention and might be in episodes somewhere, and then some of which I don't. I've kind of fallen into a pattern of doing one of two things with Barrowin when it comes to plans, and that's either I, I kind of ask myself what solutions present themselves from the people and things in the scene that are like already there as things to solve problems with you know barrowin knows that she carries a grapnel gun and a blaster and has tracking goggles and she also knows what everybody else in the crew is carrying at the time 
And since those things exist, I, I feel like it's perfectly within her ability to examine how those things can be used, certainly for their normal purpose, to reach a solution. But she isn't necessarily going to find something creative just from some object she didn't anticipate being around. And then the other thing I do that I'm trying to do a little more often, and this is where like the jump out of the ship plan came in, sometimes having Barrowin overthink things in a critically bad way. <laughs> best plan i think ever. i hit all the parts of the question yes i mean yeah also that but okay uh how do we how do we want to do this do we want to go through all of blame cat's questions and then rotate around or blame cat gets one then like jim gets one then adam gets one then paul and kind of cycle that way to get a bit of variety and then come back to a couple of the for the players from blame cat okay all right then uh leslie why don't you start off then what's adam's question can you do the accent? Heck no. This is from Adam across the pond from our uh, beloved companions at Force Majeure. Originally thought to be too a little, you know, self-aggrandizing to ask a question regarding something he had been involved in, but he is wondering about Berwin's uh, initial reaction to the crate's breath, which came across well in the show, but more now kind of how does she feel about Cav's new toy? <laughs> uh, cripplingly anxious. I feel like crippling comes up a lot. <laughs> Mechanically, that's a very possible. I can't believe Cav would never shoot Barrowin with a real weapon. That shocker is a real weapon. It's just a real non-lethal weapon. <laughs> no, basically, in short, I, I think Barrowin just is. She loves Cav very much, to be clear, but also she's realistic about the amount of sense and slash or restraint that Cav possesses. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but Barrowin is uh is is trepidatious about this fact. But also Cavs an adult, so uh And now has a scars to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Is that what is that what it takes to be an adult? <laughs> Maybe not really, but that that explains a lot actually. Aww. We're going back over to Blame Cat. Uh this is a question for all of the players. At the end of this act, is your character where you expected them to be? Like character wise. Somebody else answer first, since I've had, like, two direct questions. Uh, uh, <laughs> hard, hard Brit. no. I I was just <laughs> making noises with my mouth about how much no that is. <laughs> Where did you first expect Vistrano to be by the end of this act? I, I honestly did not expect as much to happen to him as happened in the act. And especially not like that, that moment, like so many times that I had to We're really just crew. like scrape Kav off the ground. Like, <laughs> I, literally, I, yeah, that was a lot. And I feel like that, like almost self-sacrificing moment that I had at the end there was really unexpected uh, for this soon. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, he's, you know, one, I, you know, I got the whole one will thing, so I really didn't, I, 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 you know, I thought it was going to have to take a real whole heck of a lot to actually show some courage, but there was enough motivation at that point. Mm. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, Leslie, what about Billy? Yes and no. Uh, my goal had been for Billy to kind of be moving on from thinking of herself as a tool or a utility item rather than a person. But with the abrupt change in cast membership due to life, that kind of got bumped up a bit. So yes, in that she's thinking 
and person, and yet not really. I didn't have a direction that I wanted to go, but I mm. I was recently inspired to choose a direction for her to go. So I think mostly yes, she she is going to start making decisions about who she is going to be, and so she's she came she came to the initial change a little earlier, but she's kind of still figuring it. Brandon, what about Barrowin? Uh, mostly, um, or she at least is in a place which I knew was a very likely possibility in as much as things have gone badly enough in some cases as the direct result of some of her decisions that she's, you know, cripplingly anxious, let's say, about her role as uh, as captain. And that was... Take a drink. When, when, I, when I initially set out to make a leadership character, that was always something that I knew might be an arc depending on what happened in game. And that has more or less been what's put her where she is at the end of this act. Some of the f- smaller details are less expected, but the overall gist is not. And for Cav, pretty much, uh, Cav is where I kind of figured they would be. I knew I always wanted to have Cav, I guess, face some of the harder, <laughs> harder moments in life. I actually really expected that to happen at the end of Trouble Brewing, but Cav got out of there pretty lucky and after you all did we did we really did act one of mask of the pirate queen well cav went unconscious several times a first for the show Mm -hmm. and i think that's going to affect them in some way going forward i know that they've been pretty contemplative going going forward and then the uh the other facet i guess is throughout this act cav finally started to really step into that bounty hunter role like mm. I, for a long time, I didn't know if I was going to ever put a rank in a combat skill. I finally did, and uh, and I I muted myself for a while. You listened to that question because <laughs> I I feel like my inner Vistrano was giving you such a side eye. For, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how that turned out. Ah! <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not sure happy was the word. No. Like, I, 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 Christine, am satisfied. Obviously, that's not how Cav wanted wanted it to go. Cav wanted to be an action hero. Cav got shot a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, well, now Cav is an action hero. Action heroes get shot a lot. Ask John McClane. Carefully calibrated. Yeah, but he gets the tar beaten out of him. It looks uh, so, like Brandon, what's Jim's question? Okay, uh, so Jim asks... Wait, which Jim? Uh, Jim is a, a co-worker of mine who's been listening to the show. So not so much online, but updates me when he has comments. <laughs> but so he had a question for Leslie, since he doesn't have a direct line to you on a regular basis. He was curious where the practice of calling like Verin House Verin and the rest of us better whatever came from in terms of like inspiration. And then when Verin left, how did you sort of decide that Billy wasn't going to change what she called anybody else in the crew. And sort of as a corollary, would Verin still be House Verin in Billy's mind now that he's off doing his own thing? It came from the fact that I'm easily amused by by big hulking brutes being very formal and polite, but also from the fact that she started out as essentially kind of a, a mafia receptionist in a way, you know? She sat at a table with a bunch of people that were probably not on the up and up and had to maintain an even keel. So she referred to her boss 
whoever it was at the time, as the house, because she was acting on their behalf and was the house, and that everybody at the table would be a betor. That way they could hmm. not be misidentified or given inappropriate power or have power taken from them in their roles at the table because everything was equal. As she moved into the actual world, when Vurin won her, Vurin, as her new owner, became the house. Since she didn't know how to deal with people on a people-to-people -people basis, they continued being Betor. As she's become kind of more part of everything, and also because I'm really bad at being consistent sometimes, that's, that's definitely slipped. And I did make a conscious decision to kind of not be as focused on it after a certain point. But yes, Vurin will always be house because Aww. he was her last owner and has a very important place in her memory <laughs> and albeit mechanical heart. Also, he still owes her so much money. Uh, this one is for Ben. How are you handling rewarding XP? Is it over the table session, over an act or arc, uh, etc.? Do you have specific times where you let players spend their XP, such as between every session? Or do you ask them to hold off for a certain part in the act? Is this different from how you do it at a table game as opposed to an AP podcast? I'm handing out XP as... Believe it or not, as it actually says in the module itself, every two episodes that we record, on average, is a session of us recording, which I treat as a session of gaming. It's about three hours of gaming, give or take. So that gets us the base 15 XP that everyone seems to be gaga over. But do I have any times where I'm not really wanting to get the players to spend their XP? In the past, I've done that, and it hasn't really felt right. Like, sometimes, like, in the middle of a combat, maybe, but even then, I've kind of loosened my stuck-upness about that. It's 15 XP. What's the most that they can do? They can get a skill. They may get a talent or two. If they've been banking for a while, then they can drive me a little up the wall, but this is not different from how I handle my other games. I'll give XP at the end of a session. It doesn't normally make it into the recordings because it's boring, and also I'm generally forgetting because it's late at night. The one thing that is different that I should take from the modules and into my normal adventures is extra XP for doing something unique. Meeting the clones and not killing... Well, actually, no. Meeting the clones was worth 5 XP. Getting through the jungle, 5 XP. Running down each of the leads, 5 XP. Each of those, the heroes got. And that's something that I should be bringing into my own adventures as well. Yeah, so uh, so Brandon, what's Paul's question? So this question comes from Paul, last name withheld, which is a joke that <laughs> oh, he'll no. appreciate <laughs> when he eventually hears this episode. 40 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... We He's love very you, busy Paul. right now. He's studying a great deal. In the distant future. Continue. Paul is curious. Ben, since you are using published adventures for the show, what does your preparation for a given session or, or, you know, adventure as a whole look like? Do you just kind of refresh your memory on what's written there? Do you have more like a more involved set of steps and things you do to, like, prepare yourself or add some extra spice to the published stuff? For Mask of the Pirate Queen, or for a hero's adventure, I am going through the entire thing with a fine-tooth comb. And any of the spoken text coming from there, I'm reading or paraphrasing almost directly what's in the book. 
and trying to come up with ways of making that into something that the players are actually listening to. Any of the answers are general descriptions of things, because the writers for FFG get, and this isn't a bad thing, they kind of get a little flowery in descriptions, which means when they're describing Formos for Trouble Brewing, there's some good descriptions for what's actually going on there. It works for me as a GM, but it works for me giving it over to players as well, because it paints the picture. But the other really sweet thing about FFG Adventures, especially the Edge ones, is they're written a bit more as a sandbox, especially in Act 1. Okay, we're given Seleucami, and in the descriptions of Seleucami, there are three different animals that are brought out. Well, me, in the Hero's Travels, decided to have the heroes encounter two of them. I just couldn't get the uh, minging group of herd of, like, deer a trampled crew. That's probably what would have killed us, too. <laughs> honestly. Like... All new characters. Why? Because Bambi Well, it was us. more going to be like the... I think it's Wildebeest in The Lion King. Okay, that just got a lot yeah, more correct. terrifying. And I've also got to be able to adjust to players being players because instead of driving into the crater where I could have this rock lobster come out and chase him like a T-Rex... They decided to jump into the middle of the jungle, and I had to do other things. The basic structure is entirely from the module, especially because of Heroes. Because with Heroes, I'm trying to be at least somewhat faithful to the story that is in the module, to show that no matter what weird things that the players throw at you, yes, you probably can come back to like the base general plot. And sometimes I just toss in, like, hey, yeah, this is a cool side adventure that's mentioned. I want that. Like rock lobsters. Do you see how good Britain is? I was muted right now. I was muted. Just, just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I was too. <laughs> we are professionals. No, we're not. We're aggressively not. <laughs> I think that's kind of the point. Terminally casual. Any of the actual like speech bubbles or spoken word stuff, I'm totally going from uh, what's in there and developing character based on that. Venlana being the amazing prim and proper one as opposed to my normal quest giver. A lot of it is me going and mining the adventure. I like that as a mental image. You going in with like a little pickaxe and kind of yeah. chink, 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 chink. <laughs> a lot of this is. There's a little bit on the side that, yeah, this would be a cool thing for the players to do. Or, like, where am I dressing a situation? Okay, well, this one we're going to Dex's Diner, or that one we're having in the middle of a jungle, because that's where the players have chosen, but I still want to have them run across the clones, because clones. Are you a, uh, like, extensive note-taker, or are you more a read-what-you-feel-like-you-need-to and then just sort of improvise from there? I'm pretty extensive on the note-taking for Heroes, yes. I think I've got about 10, 12 pages worth of notes for Act 1. Maybe okay. more. Almost one page an episode. Are you finding you're your having to prepare more or less for Mask than you did friends like these? I'm having to prepare differently. Because Mask mm. is a bit more of a linear thing in some ways. But also, because it branches... In certain spots, it branches out and then comes back, and as it expands and comes back, I've got to prepare all the expansion at once, and then I can coast as it comes back to the single line. 
the best example I've got is the clues. The three different clues, I had all three of them prepared before you decided to choose which direction you were going. Because I didn't want to stop and say, oh, well, I've only got this one prepared. Can we do that one this week? And then we'll do the other ones next week. Right. And we could have completely ignored one of the leads had we wanted to. Pretty much. You didn't get the effect of the third one. No. <laughs> I mean, the effect wasn't to make a diner be soapy? Well, technically the effect that you guys got for the third one was they were ready and waiting for you. Well, they were waiting for us. I don't know how ready you can be for the heroes. <laughs> I'm going on... Well, let's see. If we go with Graph... Graph! Oh, a little too Graph. <laughs> Speaking of side plots that I just really <laughs> I'm wanted. I'm so mad about that. Yeah, that was a side plot that was <gasps> totally in the module, but I just really wanted to see that. I do take pretty extensive notes The and trying to prepare ahead of time for... Because this is a bounty. Like, this is a series of a couple bounties in, or investigations. So, well, which direction are the players going? And I'm currently looking at Act 2, and the first two-thirds of that is a very major investigation that has mm -hmm. Hmm, but five different branches that it can take before the players get to the point where, oh, yes, we need to actually investigate this. I'm wanting to have the branches prepared. Maybe not exact, but yeah. I just hope none of them involve climbing. Yeah, I'm permanently embittered against no, climbing. Fine. And I, I passed. We've got, we've got like four sets of climbing gear. I passed it. No, I don't remember any climbing. Okay, then then, then we are... Yeah, honestly, I think we're kind of done with climbing for the rest of the uh, season. Challenge accepted. No! <laughs> uh, so while we're on this topic, uh, another one of Blame Cat's questions. Ben, if there was one thing that you could change in this first act so far, what would it be? The clone voice? Yeah, the clone voice. <laughs> no adventure goes the way that any GM ever thinks it's going to. For Mask of the Pirate Queen in Trouble Brewing, it's gone pretty close to what I was hoping. Like, some of that may be me semi-subconsciously pushing people in directions, but it's it's gone in the direction I've wanted. Okay, now we're coming to the point where we're going to start inserting some of our own questions. And I'll go ahead and toss one of mine out, my uh, kind of long one. How has the obligation mechanic affected how you play your characters. Do you play them any differently when yours is activated? Direct us, director. Okay. Uh, fine then, Leslie. You go first. No. Mine's been activated once, and I don't think I did jack squat differently. It might be different uh, if, if, if responsibility shows up uh, now that Varun is no longer with us, but at this point in time, I really couldn't tell you. What about you, Brandon? Do you feel any differently? Not usually. Uh, I think I, I played Bear when it was a little more aggressive at one point when, because um, I believe when we were negotiating on this bounty in the first place, her rule breaker was active. So I just kind of tried to approach the negotiation with Vinlana from a point of view where Bear when was like ready for her to bring up Barrowin's issues with the Bounty Hunters Guild or try to leverage that to make us take a lower payout or something. But for the most part, I don't really, unless it's really obviously integrated into the plot at the time. 
So certainly times when like our obligations triggered, like while we were in the jungle, I was not deviating my behavior according to that. Brit? Yeah. So um, in terms of how I play my character, I mean, I think that there's often because, you know, I've got two obligations and the family one is kind of underlying a lot of his motivations, especially his motivation for going with you all because of needing money uh, for the family. And then, you know, whenever we're in, like, a port town, like, he's always thinking about, like, how to send money back to them, which is, like, not something that ever really comes up, but it's, like, in my little diary. <laughs> and then when my obligation was triggered, I was trying to think about, like, and it, and it was the betrayal obligation. I think I was a little bit more on edge that whole uh, couple, because it actually ended up being two sessions that that was triggered because we rolled it over. And so I, I personally spent it a little bit like worried that it would come up in like a scary way, but also having, making sure that like, I tried to play Vistrano as like, I'm thinking about that time that that awful thing happened and, and how it, it, I think it came up a little bit in how I was dealing with everyone else and in particular Cav, because like the last time I really cared about somebody, I did something terrible. And this time I really care about people. And I'm going to try not to. I want to read the novella jerk. of Vistrano's backstory. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, the obligation was there. The obligation <laughs> was there, and I didn't want it to just be arbitrary. So I, you know, there, there's, you know, it's like a soap opera. It's days of it's our doctors. <laughs> I think that was also like, uh, you know, going back to what we talked about before we started. I think I had also just finished rewatching Spartacus. That's where some of that gladiator cool. stuff came from. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a neat mechanic. And then uh, for my part, when it's come up, I do try to incorporate it in some little way. Like, I think, what, both times theft has come up, Cap has stolen something. Mm-hmm. Even if the second time it was just a snow globe. Right. Yeah, it just kind of gets me thinking in that right mindset in terms of, okay, this is a part of that character who kind of established Cab to be a bit shady. Where are those opportunities? And I think family has only activated the one mm-hmm. so far. And when that happens, when we learned about Cab's sister right. way back in Trouble Brewing with that conversation with uh, Zucata. So I, I try to bring it in in some ways. So then on the GM side, Ben, what advice do you have for GMs who want to incorporate the obligation mechanic when running a pre-made adventure? Lean into it. Like that's sort of the best advice to have for obligation anyway is find out the causes for it, like work with your players to find out like a cause or a trigger for it and mash that button. The family bit, the duty bound one, which is I think the current one going into the next one, or Oathbreaker, one of the Barrowin ones. My players have told me that there is these triggers for th- their characters. Like, Barrowin is a major rule breaker. Billy is a high-risk thing from the Empire and feels responsible for the crew. How does Kev deal with family? Which family is Kev trying to deal with? If the droid family obligation shows up, how do I put K1 or any of the other Ks in danger? Like, how is that going to show up in the session? It's one of the nice things about rolling obligation at the very end of a session, if you stick around for that. It's also, I can then work with the player and find, okay, we're put into these situations. How does it work? Like, how can I use 
this to try and get the players and the characters to react to the situation. Makes sense. Still trying to figure out how obligation works for my own running, so it's good to hear this. It's easier than duty and friggin' whatever the first thing is. It really is. If I was really good at branding, I also would have looked up that for an episode number. It's somewhere in the recent 30 episodes of Tales. I just don't remember which one. And they kind of, the numbers bleed together, especially after Apple. Shake my fist at you, <sighs> Apple. Yeah, I also know you and I have had a really good conversation about Obligation. That's a whole Tales episode. Yeah, like there's a few Obligation episodes in there that are pretty good. Like, it's examining it in this situation. From what I can tell, ah, it was Berwin Rulebreaker. Why don't I have that noted? I don't know. Berwin breaking all them rules. It's just the big ones. 37. <laughs> like, like, don't jump I out don't of know. moving starships? Yep. It wasn't really moving, though. It was hovering. Yeah. I mean, Reba was doing a great job of hovering. Cav remembers it moving. I mean, it's moving in the sense that everything and, on the planet is moving sense. because the it planet is, is rotating motion. and orbiting a star. <laughs> I've since brought up my notes on Trouble Brewing. My foremost thing is approximately eight pages long, and that's without going off planet. So, mm. yeah, a lot more than I thought. Probably about a okay. page an episode. Nah. From, from yeah. what I recall, about how long it took us to get off yeah, the planet. Yeah, which means two pages a session. All right, Brandon. Over to you. Uh, okay, so this one is partially because we haven't done a discussion uh, for Trouble Brewing either, so this kind of reaches all the way back. But I'm curious what inspirations or intentions each of us had when creating our characters in the first place and how the characters in play have deviated from what you initially imagined at, all the way back at the beginning of the season. And I can answer this if, if you want me to start, I can just give my answer. I think Christine should start, since Christine's not been starting. Or that. That's also fine. But, uh, fair enough. Cab was an absolutely ridiculous thought I had in my head one day. I know, I know the sunglasses came from, I had been watching some of uh, that 70s show. And, and it's like the aviators got kind of stuck in my head from that. So this ridiculous... Gan wearing sunglasses and a Hawaiian shirt. Well, I guess actually the Hawaiian shirt came to be in the session zero. I said just like floral shirt and it just sort of evolved from there. So Cav has ended up embodying the like sillier aspects of my own personality. And I wasn't quite prepared for them to be quite so ridiculous and comedic. But I think adapted pretty well to that. There's also the big surprise at the very beginning of Trouble Brewing, which we talk about where... Cava ended up a lot shadier than I was thinking, which is funny because I built in an obligation of theft. You think I would have made that connection, but <laughs> that still caught me off guard once we once we got going. And in terms of the development, once I kind of got the foundation for Cav, Cav hasn't changed too much. But the only thing that sort of caught me off guard a little bit has been Cav sort of familiarity or interest in Vistrano, because I wasn't prepared for any sort of aspect of that for the character. But that also hasn't been, like, too big a thing, I don't think. Uh, Britt, I choose you. <laughs> um, well, it, it's hard because I came in, you know, after I already saw all of your characters. So, I, as, as much as 
I was told not to try to make someone to, to fit specifically. I, I was obviously thinking like, well, they could really use a doctor. <laughs> I think true. that would be really. <laughs> so true. I want to not be offended by that. And I want to be offended by that. But it's just. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's remarkably prescient since like. <laughs> As of when you joined us, we hadn't actually gotten Our butts That's handed true. To all that yeah. severely injured. I had only listened up to I think five episodes. Yeah. So yeah, no, I. It, it was more. It wasn't like I think they're um, they're mess ups and they're gonna need a doctor. It was more like what is an archetype that is currently not being filled. And I don't just want to come in as Verin 2.0. You mean Blurin Blafa? Blurin Blafa. I'm going to answer the rest of this question like Blurin. And I, okay, no. That's going to hurt my throat. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely didn't want to just be a Verin replacement. And I wanted to be something that I thought would, would sort of slide in and be useful. Um, and I feel like I answered some of these questions slightly recently on my intro thing because I... I also uh, liked the idea of a of a doctor in this sort of like dusty CD situation mm-hmm. uh, to figure out how that would even go. In terms of inspiration, I, it's pretty hard not to when you're thinking about like a British voiced space doctor uh, think about Deep Space Nine a little bit, and I Ooh. try it's, it's not like to do that too me. much. But sometimes I feel like in my head. Vistrano looks like him, but blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, now, now that's my yeah, headcanon. I'm sorry. I, I can see that. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have said it, but yeah, it's going to ruin everyone's headcanon. That worked. Oh, no, it's, be- yeah. it's great. I love it. And in terms of deviation, I guess I guess really the only thing is that I do feel like I, I, I got a little bit braver than I thought he was capable of. You know, I, I started, I, I wanted to be nervous, <laughs> and it all... It all worked out because you all have such very strong personalities, but like nervous wasn't really one of them. So I think I was kind of just like plucking a bunch of things that I thought were slightly unique and trying to make a character out of them. Were you plucking up the nerve? (laughs) I'll take your pity laugh. I I also set out because of my stats. I was like, I think Vistarno is going to be maybe maybe fairly good at flirting, but Brit's not very good at flirting. And so definitely <laughs> Vistarno was like not as cool in that regard as I had thought that that they would be. <laughs> like that whole <laughs> then Lana scene, I was all like, yeah, he's going to be real chill. But instead it was just like awkward hand on shoulder, hey, sort of thing. Like it was bad. <laughs> it was not not how I expected it would be. It's pretty great, though, because there's a lot of scenes where Vistrano's like natural sort of presence carries him forward, where he presents himself that way. And then with that one willpower, he immediately crumbles when he's faced with any sort of opposition. Yeah, that's... (laughs) Like the Barrowin scenes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everything with Barrowin is is a delight. Yeah. That whole thing. Yeah. You've done so well with Vistrano. It's been great. Plus, also having a doctor on hand means I can throw even worse things at them. And <laughs> I was out of a ship. That was your choice. We jumped. We jumped. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was me. Making armor and maybe uh, like a repulsor shoot <laughs> for next time. Floofy, floofy shirt. I'm going to have Rebo just remove the uh, boarding ramp from the ship. 
then how are you getting on? And we're just always all. we're just always going to jump off. Um. <laughs> I think we have to find a cliff, and Rebo will fly the ship just below the cliff. <laughs> I mean, you'd probably die on impact, so no, I don't think you'd be crying anymore. Uh, Leslie. I'm sorry, what was the question again? I've gotten really distracted by the rambling. <laughs> <laughs> when you first created Billy, did you have specific inspirations or intentions that you wanted to pursue? And as a corollary, how has Billy sort of deviated from you, what you expected Billy to be? As discussed previously, the basic concept behind Billy was kind of a, a high-end waitress. <laughs> but, you know, a dealer at a table with, with no um, real context for humanity. So the exploration of our non-species-specific version of humanity. Uh, sentientivity? I don't know. Uh, the exploration was always going to be part of it. I, I got thrown for the loop when we lost Verin. But I think, hmm. I, I don't think she's really far off what I expected, but I didn't know where the relationships would head. So I kind of was hedging my bets on that hmm. front. Also known as cheating. What about Barrowin? <laughs> so I started just knowing that I wanted to play a Salonian because they're my favorites and that I wanted to play a ship captain because I don't often play characters that engage mechanically with leadership at the very least. And I thought it was an interesting spec, even though probably not a very good one, realistically. It's kind of where I began, and initially I very specifically wanted to not be Hera. And then, so that's sort of an anti-inspiration. But um, whatever it was that initially brought on the... Uh, well, I didn't have the goggles at the time. <laughs> uh... Barrowin didn't start with goggles. <laughs> but well, once once whatever it was that started the initial like jokes about Barrowin being team mom started, I thought, no, that's fine. That's probably better and something that I don't normally do as a player either. So I'll lean into that, but I still don't want to be Hera, so I have to just be bad at doing everything. <laughs> and so that's kind of like that that's that's why Barrowin's kind of a, a bit mean in her affection, I think, because I was doing that already to a degree because I make quips, but I leaned into it a little more because I it would be a way that Barrowin would not be Hera. And in case anybody listening is is curious, that I am referring to Hera, uh, Hera Syndulla from Rebels, not you know the goddess, right? Because uh, she's very much the the character on whom the ship captain spec is kind of based, right really? down to being the huh. uh, art they use. I've actually seen Rebels um, on that page. Yeah, yeah. She's a very competent and more, I guess, traditionally caring figure while still being, you know, ready to ready to fight and stuff. So I've definitely leaned into being worse at the maternal elements for Barrowin to try and just not be Hera. That's been my journey. Also, the crippling anxiety wasn't planned. Take but a drink. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. I guess, like, sort of relatedly, I think the other thing that I've leaned into more from a roleplay perspective is just because for a long time, Berwin rolled really well when she tried negotiating, <laughs> but rolled generally really badly when she tried literally anything else, even stuff that, like, statistically she should be succeeding at. I just sort of decided, yeah, this is this is Berwin's life is really good at this one thing, and she knows she's really good at that one thing. And wishing she were better at all these other things. And being occasionally 
good enough that it's surprising and neat. So that's Barrowin's life. All right, Leslie, the next question to ask is yours. <laughs> All right, um, since Blame Catsle has a couple unhighlighted and we kind of ask the same question, I'm going to go with first one phrasing and then the other. Blamecat asked, uh, has there been a time in this first act where the players have surprised you? And asked for an example. I asked, uh, is there a specific time that we broke you or the game uh, in a surprising and fun way? Okay, no, unexpected really, but you know. And, and you in this context is Ben. Yes, sorry. Our darling GM, whom we love dearly. Well, I mean, the jumping out of the freighter is pretty much the only... Well, okay, <laughs> there was that. And then probably the one part that of all the things I wish I could go back and fix is the Billy and Vestrano getting inside the lair, knocking out those two. I think it was Vestrano who yes. knocked them both out. And then not knowing what to do. Of all the things, that was my surprise slash how can I do this better? Otherwise, like all the other weirdness and silliness, even the repelling, it went roughly how I was figuring it would, considering I set the difficulties. The idea behind it, yeah. And I had to re-mess around and figure out where the Nuno was coming from. But otherwise, yeah, not really. I mean, you had to get into the jungle somehow, so jumping out of a perfectly good freighter is one thing. Like, why not? I mean, descending in through a jungle campy that you've got no idea what's underneath. That was kind of the weird thing, but yeah. Not a rough idea. So what I'm hearing is I need to start taking lessons from Chris again. In all seriousness, about the only way that through Act 2 that this crew would be able to surprise me is if you actually did the completely 100% good run. If you did the Paragon run, I'd be surprised. Hmm. I would love it. Like, don't get me wrong, the Paragon path is a way that I wish it y'all would take, but if you're able to find it and get on it and do it, that would surprise me. It would be great, but it would surprise me. Yeah, I think all these characters would have to be feeling pretty, uh, pretty like, repentant over the <laughs> end of Act 1. Hey, I'm good. You threw someone we in all fire. We all killed a lot of people. You slew two in fire. I mean, yeah, Billy. Billy's probably a psychopath, but you killed one being with another being by throwing them in fire. No, no, no. I, I think that was, reference was to the pretzeling people early on in the game. I mean, for a bunch of near duels, we do have at least a sort of moral compass. Well, and that's the thing is that if I take into account the four of yours moral compass, I, I'll put it this way: I'm not betting against you, but I'm not betting for you to get on what I'm terming the Paragon Path. It all depends on how this particular character is presented and how you deal with the character. Based on that, and assuming I've done my job otherwise, there opens up the path that turns into a Paragon-ish way of doing it. Hmm. Intrigued, Dan. In which case, it would just be really awesome for me because it's a one path that's like, oh, this... This is totally in the book. It's totally an available thing. It's just, I would not entirely expect it, but it could work. Yeah, I don't expect it either. Also, you never know what things are fluff and what isn't. <laughs> there we go. I've got so much time to think between recording sessions. I don't think that there's a way of you really being able to completely flabbergast me. Unless you do something completely, utterly out of left field. 
So you're saying that throwing the foam grenades in this crab's mouth and then lighting them on fire. That was like one of two different ways of getting rid of the Anuno. Okay, fair enough. That was a really good one. Proud like, of it was like, well, if they do this and this, and then if they do that, then yeah, this will totally work. Honestly, I'm always impressed when we can get anything to work. Since, I mean, Cav, our mechanic, could not drive a what? But that was Cav awesome. drove the forklift. Very successfully. Yeah. Cav just didn't run anybody over. I mean, broke all the safety <laughs> regulations. Yeah, like, there's totally an OSHA report going on. But, yeah. There's a whole new slew of features going to be on the next match. That's why we can't go back to Foremost. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the reason we can't go back to Foremost. Yeah. Alright, uh, so before we jump over to Brit, do we want Brit's Hogwarts question to be our last one for this? Sure. Okay, so, so Brit... All right, this is a very serious question. I hope everyone is prepared for that. It's it's just it's probably going to be a real, you know, thought. Uh, I I don't even know where I'm going with this. Uh, all right, your character is on Facebook taking the what wizard school house are you sorting quiz. What are their answers, Christine? <laughs> I take it we are we are able to use the the perhaps four wizarding houses we might be familiar with from our world. I think. I, that actually is, are we allowed to say that? Um, I should have thought about that when I asked this question. <laughs> Go with it. Just identify it by the animal. We'll be fine. I, I, I think they're, are those copyrighted? We're oh. fine. We're fine here. I, I okay. mean, yeah, you can, this, this is absolutely in the domain of like parody and or critique or, or something. This is fair use. You're not making money off of this. That too. Okay. Cav and my esteem is a Slytherin. I heard that's Cav good. is ambitious. Cav is at times dishonest. <laughs> Cav goes about things sometimes in a roundabout manner. Usually when Cav is employing Cav's intelligence, it's towards the, those ends. That, that's my my take. I'm I'm more nervous about Cav than I <laughs> thought I was going to be. All right. Cav is Snake House. How yeah. about Cav is Snake. or Leslie? Uh Billy, by inclination, is definitely going to be um, Hufflepuff Badgerness. Badger, badger. Because Snick. patient, willing to do the work, prefers supportive roles. However, were she to have a goal she wanted badly enough, 110% could also be in the, the, the green and silver. As the swath of destruction is wide. <laughs> and very pointed. <laughs> See, I'm not the only one who can do that. Currently, at least, we're we're gonna stick peaceable and support class. Okay, I I actually have a very strong feeling we're gonna end up with a fully rounded out uh, house representation, but I'll wait for Berwin to answer. So we shouldn't ask Rebo at the end. <laughs> I'm too oh, old. Re Rebo's a muggle. Oh, oh, yes. oh I was going to say squib, but it made me feel terrible. I'm glad he said it first. Muggle or squib? <laughs> it's okay to be differently abled. You don't have to be mad. Barrowin is not a Slytherin. <laughs> so that's just to make that clear. She's also not sure about Billy or Cav now because they. <laughs> Forgot to clear their browser history or something, I guess. <laughs> Cav bought the scarf. 
I kind of currently think of Barrowin as she's probably definitely a Hufflepuff, but she wants to get Gryffindor. <laughs> she, she, you know, she does the test and then is disappointed <laughs> when it says she's a Hufflepuff. <laughs> I think Gryffindor is potentially a trajectory for her arc. I can mm-hmm. see the Gryffindor um, colors in there. See, I would have absolutely have said Gryffindor yeah, for her. Yeah, I, I, 100%, that's what I thought was going to happen. And Berwyn's mm. never been shy about jumping into any situation, especially for her friends. The bullheaded honesty, I think, is what pushes me towards Gryffindor. And the straight line movement. There's a wall, <laughs> let's go through it. Mainly specifically when jumping <laughs> is involved. Out of Out of vehicles, for that matter. There's some foliage. Yeah. Let's go through it. I I think that there's I think there's an argument to be made that she were she sorted by the sorting hat she would be Gryffindor. I don't know that testing on Facebook, sorry, Spacebook, she would be Gryffindor, but that's partially that's because of her crippling anxiety. That's a good point. <laughs> good point. I mean, I'm not kidding though. Barrowin has <laughs> Barrowin shot. needs psychiatric help. Cav is a very good therapist. Therefore, a good Star Wars character. I don't think we're supposed to answer our own questions, but I think that Vistrano is the only Raven I've ever played in my life. I can definitely see it. Yeah, Vistrano is totally a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I initially looked for Cav and then realized, uh, yeah, not not, not so much. See, honestly, going into this question, um, I I thought that I was thinking Vistrano was a Ravenclaw, but the rest of us were Hufflepuffs. Mm. Wait, just, what? Cavs just a, a murdery Hufflepuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and Billy's a very like see, really not stoic that I want to add to Barrow and stress level, but I could also see a Slytherin argument <laughs> for a strong. <laughs> oh dear! Really? Uh. <laughs> yeah. So we're like the reverse of the dream team from Harry Potter. Oh, gosh. You know, yeah, where they have in the yeah. core, they have kind of representatives of all the house, but they're all Gryffindor. <laughs> I mean, so. Yeah. I mean, Barrowin is definitely not Slytherin. <laughs> so we have representatives <laughs> yeah. of all the houses, but we're all Slytherin. <laughs> you saw Hufflepuff Except for Cav? <laughs> yeah, really? absolutely. Uh-huh. Suddenly very, very concerned. Oh, yeah. Stolid, supportive. Encouraging. I guess I do want to give Ben the opportunity to maybe pick Freebo or some other beloved NPC if if they want to answer this question. Fenlana is Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, like Fenlana is yeah. But what house is the pirate queen? <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking she's a uh, Gryffindor. at this particular point. Yeah. See, I just finished rereading Act and, and Two. What, in what's her address just... too? While we're at it. Yeah, there's a reason why I like this adventure as much as I do. Uh, for Freebo? Okay, my biggest problem is I don't really know the Harry Potter houses well. Alright, there's there's Smirks, there's Snake, there's Brave, and there's Other. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Smarts, Ambition, Support, Bravery. Freebo's amazingly dependable. Like, if you told him that you were fighting your way up to the top of a building. He would have the sky on fire there with a landing ramp down and three bees eating the face of someone. Like, that's... <laughs> like, that's pretty much where Vrebo's gonna be. It's like, you need Vrebo someplace. The ship that Vrebo drives will be there. 
it almost doesn't really matter much. It's just also is very aware of like, oh yeah, there's anti-air emplacements here. It would be so nice if you guys took care of that. Things like that, but yeah. Everybody is a Hufflepuff. Totally. Oh. So th- there you go, Bear, when you have one Hufflepuff for your crew of Slytherins. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I, I didn't necessarily want a Hufflepuff crew. I just sort of figured that's one what real the answers Hufflepuff would be. With no shades of other houses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that that's that one cunning right there <laughs> not realizing yeah, that's true. the house yeah. everyone is something uh. <laughs> and on the note I guess we're going to close out this episode yeah it seems like an idea alright thank you for listening to this episode of Heroes of the Hydean Way you can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way and you can find me Ben on Twitter at Deuterium Ice you can find me, Christine, and Cav on Twitter at Twelfth Night. That's one, two, T-H, night with a K. I am on Twitter with my uh, tight five about Sonic the Hedgehog uh, trailers. <laughs> we all hate you. <laughs> um, as at Blue of the Kin, please Don't check it, it out when you hear this for like five-month-old jokes. <laughs> yeah, at this particular point, you're probably gearing up to actually watch the movie. <laughs> Hey, I'm pretty sure we're under four months of lead time now. If, if they've gotten out of the post-production. Uh, but I am Leslie, Billy. I'm actually uh, a Hufflepuff that gets sorted into Gryffindor nine times out of ten. But I know who I am. I'm a, I'm a Ravenclaw that gets sorted into mm. uh, Gryffindor all the time. <laughs> oh, Leslie GS, too, by the way. Leslie GS is where you find me on the Twitter thing. Whatever. Do we? You know by Do now. We? If you're listening to this. And I'm Britt, and on the old Facebook, or no, not really, I guess it's Twitter. Yeah, whatever. I'm Atomic Firebird, and oh, Pottermore wants to make me a Hufflepuff, and I don't want to believe it, but I guess it's probably true. Ravenclaw all the way. We are all at theheidianway.com, where you can find previous episodes and our sister podcast, Tales from the Hydean Way. Our podcasts are on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing the show. We're also on Facebook as Heroes of the Hydean Way. Uh, but not Spacebook, we got banned. <laughs> For being from a pre-war For crippling society. anxiety. Shot. Nope, nope. <laughs> you can holocom us at heroes at com. If you like what we do and want to support our mayhem, you can hop onto Patreon slash the Hydean Way. Or you can donate a calf to us at ko-fi.com slash the Hydean Way. Uh, I feel like we need to start um, singing the shot, shot, shot song every time Cav's got a gun. Now we're giving the 10 seconds of silence. (laughs) 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 What happened? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know yep. how to make that a blooper, but I, I need to figure out how. I. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
I mean, it's it's Welcome reasonably back, easy. You just start it where Ben says ten seconds of silence, and then let the silence be. Yeah, and then just dump it there at the back. Yeah, it, it'll be awesome. Okay, I'm sorry, everyone, but I need to kill Vistrano and play whatever that is. Okay. Immediately. I mean, I'm also game. It looks like looks like a very fancy kobold, which is like. Pretty much my jam. Not quite sure how we do this in Star Wars, but what? What's the lizard person that has a tail that Christine looks down upon? Bosk. What Barabel? Barabels. Barabels are way too big, Leslie. <laughs> either I that. Think, um, you don't know. Either that, or big? we just give Vistrano that outfit. I'll, I'll settle for that. That okay. would totally work. I support that. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, Vistrano that, that, and that. We need strong. to go to a semi-formal ball now. Sorry, future Christine, but get like seriously. Wow, <laughs> she's used to this by now. I'll shush. By the way, if anybody wants me to come play Kobold in their game, um, I'm available. <laughs> so noted. We're gonna need to hear your Kobold. Uh, we, we already have one guest Kobold player. We could use another. 